Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 88 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Uh, this marks our third episode from our return, which means we've now put out more regular episodes than we did in all of 2022. A low bar, to be sure. So this episode runs a little shorter than usual, for some odd reason. I don't know why. We had a great conversation. And I didn't get to put out a Beyond the Screens this week, because uh, the week got a little chaotic and didn't put out a Friday inquiry and, and such. So I'm going to pontificate for just a moment. If you don't like long intros, just fast forward for a a couple of times and you'll get to the episode. But I want to I want to talk about something that came to mind while I was editing this episode. And that was back when I was in uh, my teacher preparation program. <laughs> for those who don't know, I am a teacher for my day job. And when I was in the preparation program, one of the things they talked to us about was the danger of movies that represent teachers. Now, as a film guy, this struck me instantly because I love movies and I love movies about teachers. You know, you think about like Dead Poet Society or Freedom Writers or those kinds of things. And one of the things the professor pointed out is those films almost set a dangerous level of expectation for teachers new to the field because those are teachers who give their all. They give everything for those kids. And that's a dangerous thing for teachers to take on. And I can understand that logic behind it. And if you add on top of that, the things don't always go well for those teachers. They may be inspirational. They may be the kind of teachers who change those kids' lives. But at the end of Dead Poet Society, Mr. Keating is fired. At the end of Freedom Writers, it looks like the teacher is victorious. But the truth is she left the profession after those events took place. Uh, so I totally can kind of understand the danger behind films like that. And the reason I bring that up is because this week's selection, this, the movie that was picked this week, hit that same vibe for me, and possibly in a much healthier and better way, because it not only showcases a group of people who are giving a lot of themselves to help young people, but it represents the toll that that puts on these individuals in a lot more realistic of a fashion. It shows that this isn't easy. It shows the sacrifices that they are making sometimes for their own mental health in order to try and help these people. And I think if, you, if you've not seen this week's movie, which is Short Term 12, and you like those kinds of films, you owe it to yourself to watch that movie before you listen to our conversation about it. It is available streaming on many different services. It is unfortunately streaming on services that put commercials in the film. But as much as I dislike watching movies with commercials, that did not damage the flow of the film for me. This may very well be one of my favorite movies that has been picked for the podcast, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, we've done 88 different episodes so far. And this was a last-minute selection. Uh, the guest that I had lined up for this week had some personal business to attend to and had to postpone their recording. So friend of the show, Thomas Mariani, was able to step in and help me out with getting a episode put together this week. So this was kind of a tight turnaround where he picked the movie and I watched it like the next day and we recorded like the day after that. It was it was done that quickly. And that's the pleasure of being able to have repeat guests on this show, stepping away from my original concept of it, because Thomas really helped me out. But he also introduced me to a beautiful movie that I had not seen, I had not heard of, and am absolutely delighted that I have gotten to see this movie and have a wonderful conversation about it. Uh, this does mark a – I don't even know how many times Thomas has been on the show at this point because he also participates in our uh, annual Oscar roundup uh, Oscar predictions episode. You can look forward to him coming back for that in just a little while. We'll talk about the Oscar nominations on this week's Beyond the Screens. So if you have any thoughts on those nominations, that's what I'll be looking for on social media this week. But until then, let's go ahead and do this week's regular episode, which is Short Term 12 from 2012, brought to us by special guest Thomas Mariani. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, the last time, you know, taking a year off, but the last time I had you and Adam 
on the show. It was in back to back weeks, and yet we're and we're turning into that again, where I just had Adam on, and and now it's your turn apparently. <laughs> but I appreciate you uh, jumping in at the last minute so that I could have a a movie conversation this week. I want to talk a little bit about your process. Because uh, I, I, you know, I'm a devoted fan of Double Edge Double Bill. We'll give you the chance to to promote that at the end, of course. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a good movie and it's a bad movie on a topic. But every week, it feels like you go above and beyond as far as what you watch. Like you don't just watch the good and the bad. You, it, it feels like you watch like half a dozen other movies every week. Uh, right, just to really tell you my incredible social life and how much just a <laughs> activity I do outside with other people. Um, but I think, like, with that, it's it's partially because we have the double reduce segment. Where right. We're, like, recommending, like, a good and a bad one. So I kind of like to get a gauge there. And also sometimes it, it just depends on, like, what the thing is. Like, we just did um, Hannibal on one of our most recent episodes. So I was curious about, because I hadn't seen those sequels in so long, that I was just like, well, I'm curious to see how this compares with, like, the other Hannibal Lecter movies. So I just think it depends on, like, what necessarily the the topic is. There are some points where I don't really watch a lot of other things related to the show. I just watch other bullshit, Ah. like movies, like, from the year or whatever. But um, if it's something where I feel like I kind of want to make that a part of the conversation, I go ahead and do a bit more of that research on, on the side of it. Yeah, because it just feels like, and and again, maybe that's just the perception of the, from the from an audience member, but it just feels like you just put in a lot of time, and then I'm like, well, when do you find time to watch movies that aren't related to your podcast? Because I know you do that too, but I just, mm-hmm. you know, I, my my process with your podcast is I listen to it, and then you guys promote whatever's coming up next week, and I go, oh, I haven't seen that movie. This gives me the opportunity to watch it before I listen to their conversation, and then the next week the episode downloads, and I go, oh, I forgot to watch that. Oh well, I'll I'll, I'll listen to them talk about it. <laughs> Well, I appreciate all of that <laughs> consistency there with that. But it, it leaves it hard to to ask you, and, and again, you've been on the show repeat time, so it's not like it would really be part of our conversation anyway, but it leaves it kind of difficult to ask you what are your have-not-seen-this-movies because you watch so many. I mean, you still have some. Like, you guys just did 2001 a couple weeks ago, and the impression I, I got, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong movie, but there was something like 2001 that you had never seen until watching it. It wasn't 2001 because you talked about no. your history with that one. Right. I think the one of them recently was The Great Escape. That, that was, was like it. A, yeah. Yes. That was one I had not seen. And I think that those are the ones I tend to even as much research as I do. If it's like an over two and a half hour movie, it's hard for me to like sit down with it. Sure. Quite frankly, just the, the amount of time devoted yeah. to it. I could watch three more movies in that time. Come <laughs> on, man. <laughs> Part of why I still haven't seen Lawrence of Arabia, because every time I get that, like, oh, I do want to watch this, I, I hear people talk about it or whatever, and then I go and I'm like, oh, it's really long, and I don't know that I can commit to that <laughs> in one evening. And I, I, I have seen, I have seen it in the last like few years, but that that's also another case where it's just like I feel like I want to wait until I can see it like on a big screen. Yeah, that is definitely one of those where it's like I gotta see that big. And it, they did do a tour with it a couple years ago, if I remember I think correctly. They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and that was the same thing with 2001 where like i'd seen it on at home before but it's like i want to see it on a big screen to get like the true scope of it so what are your have not seen this movies what movies do you still know are just glaring omissions from you know in your knowledge um i mean there's there were a few like i remember we did address this at some point recently, and i'd seen a couple more since then but i mean in terms of like the big ones. I mean, there's always Dude, like you've seen a couple ones. more movies since we started recording five minutes ago. I mean, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I have another screen uh, that's over here. Um, I mean, there's some like big '70s ones, like uh, Serpico is an example. Of okay, that's just like that's so commonly referenced, but I've never seen it before. That's one of them. And like, I I don't know. Yeah, there's it's there's there's a fair amount, but uh, as you said, like I tend to like try and fill in those gaps whenever yeah. appropriate. Like whenever there's an Al Pacino episode that we do, I'm sure there'll be one of the 15 fucking Al Pacino movies I watch. No, you'll just watch Jack and Jill another time, just so you can make the jokes. <laughs> another five times. That's a good point, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, what do you consider at this point to be the worst film that you've covered on your podcast? A lot of contention. We've covered movie 43. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a, that's a. Pretty low one. There's the one, um, this was early in the history of the show. I think at least the most that I've genuinely been offended by is the one Wired, the John Belushi movie. Right. Right. That um, doesn't really exist in any home video format and good. 
And good, I'm, right. I'm, a rare case, like, I'm a big film preservation person, but no, let that disappear into the dust. <laughs> a terrible, awful, offensive piece of shit movie. Well, the, the movie you picked for this week uh, made me nervous because I had not heard of it. And then you not only, you, you were like, okay, this is the movie we're doing. Okay, cool. Hadn't heard of it. And then you were like, oh, and it's available on Tubi. And you have recently discovered that Tubi is just this giant well of unknown, low-quality films. Well, I think that's the weird thing with Tubi is I think it has the most varied sort of, like, uh, filmography of, like, any of the streaming services, Mm -hmm. I would say. Because there are genuine great gems, like I would argue this movie, but there's also bullshit trash. Like, Adam and I recently just watched uh, The Last Vampire on Earth, which is a 2010 uh, Christian Twilight ripoff. That's like shot on home DV. I almost want to watch that now. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty, pretty awful in the best way possible. Uh, But I think Tubi is just like one of those streaming services where like they have like really dumb stuff, especially their original content is hilariously bad looking. But they tend to, I would argue, have at least a better uh, like filmography in general than like, say, a Netflix. Like there are at least movies before 1980. On right. Tubi, unlike fucking Netflix. Yeah, and I, I was realizing Amazon, in a lot of ways, feels that way sometimes, where it's just like, um, you guys do know there were movies made before 1990, right? Uh, yeah. You know, and and Amazon is like supposed to be, you know, the, the the superstore. You would think they'd have a lot more of those on there, but maybe I need to surf around Tubi more. I don't like. I'm spoiled. I don't like watching movies with commercials. Like even watching this one, that was one of my thoughts was, eh, oh, Tubi as means I'm gonna have to watch it with commercials. I mean, also not helped by the fact that Tubi's commercials are like either incredibly just bad commercials or really upsetting because like there's the Fox connection where you say like Mike Huckabee's face. I'm like, no, oh, get this out of my fucking face. No. I did not have that commercial, thankfully. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and start talking about the movie that you picked. A- again, movie I had not, obviously I had not seen because I-, I had not even really heard of. And this is only from 2012, so a contemporary film. Uh, and it is Short Term 12, written and directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, starring Brie Larson, John Gallagher Jr., Caitlin Denver, Stephanie Beatriz, Rami Malek, and Lakeith Stanfield. You need to get ready because it's so unbelievable. It's going to seem fake, but I promise you it's not Grace Vashborn. It depends if you tell it right. There is no way not to tell this right. It is a storyteller's wet dream. <laughs> Short term 12, this is Grace. Remember, you're not their parent, you're not their therapist. You are here to create a safe environment, and that's it. Got it. Luis, you better be up. So this is how it's going to be. Community meeting is now in session. Slow this down a little bit. Y'all, y'all ain't got no rhythm, man. Mace, I love you like a brother, but I gotta say that when it come to being discreet, you're a disgrace. I mean, you think we all don't know about him and Grace on the low, undercover, trying to date? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you so nice to me? Well, it's easy. You are the weirdest and most beautiful person that I've ever met. So let me in your head once in a while. I'm just gonna go nuts. We have a new member of our community. She's been in and out of group homes with dangerous behavior. I told her father we take good care of her. I take good care of everyone. Happy birthday. I really think we need to talk through some of this stuff. Today. All right, now. I just need to work. Jaden, come on, please just open the door. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> every day with those kids and last night that girl sat next to me and she cried and she tried to tell me the only way that she knew how grace it's not your job to interpret tears i've been waiting for three years for you to just once take the advice that you give your kids every five minutes and learn to talk about what's going on inside your head let's all lift our glasses to our king and queen everything good in my life is because of you you know we can do this, right? Here we go. 
I mean, that cast alone. And I, what I thought was hilarious was when I went to Tubi to look at it, like it listed uh, Brie Larson and Stephanie Beatriz and Rami Malek. And there's a picture of John Gallagher Jr., but he wasn't listed <laughs> among the starring. <laughs> I was like, that's got to be John Gallagher Jr., who I, I love uh, from, you know, the newsroom. Sorry, let's start off. How do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? I would say that it's a very empathetic and heartbreaking but beautiful movie starring, as you mentioned, a bunch of great people early in their careers that you have grown to love in like yeah. the last 10, I would say. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think that's a, a very, very good good selling point on it. As I, I said last week when I talked with Adam, I need to start asking my guests that question before I watched the movie because I went into this blind. I didn't even watch the trailer. I just was like, okay, Thomas picked this movie. This is what we're going to watch. It's not like watching the trailer is going to change my mind about it. So why this movie as your choice? Because you've had a very varied, eclectic kind of mix of movies that you've picked for us to talk about. Why short-term 12? Well, I think because we had never really covered like a drama on the show. And mm. I think that's something I tend to like. That's one of my few like issues I think I have even with our shows that we rarely go into like the drama side of things. And I think it's just because like we like sticking to like genre stuff and, and all that. And I, you know, I love all that stuff, obviously. But I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of talk about something like this that I think Adam has told me he's seen this movie after my recommendation. It was just like, I love that movie, but like I could never talk about it on the show because it's deeply upsetting. And I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of talk about that, especially with this movie, because so many of these people, like I mentioned, like so many of them have like gone on to do such amazing work afterward. And some of them, sadly, I don't think have like really done a lot of interesting work after this point. I think I'll just particularly settle on, I think Brie Larson's so amazing in this movie, and I loved like her in, like, before this, like, Scott Pilgrim or 21 Jump Street, and then after this Room. Mm -hmm. I think after that point, she's sadly been kind of swallowed up into, like, the Disney machine in particular, and just kind of been doing, like, movies that don't really sell her abilities, I think, nearly as well. Sure. And not to go off on a tangent, but I know you're you've become you're one of those people who has kind of lost interest in the Marvel machine. Yeah, I was big into like the Marvel machine as it was like really happening. I still remember when Iron Man came out, just being like, Oh my god, they're really doing this, this isn't gonna work and all the way up into Avengers and stuff. And I just think especially with like the break that we had in between like Endgame and Spider Man Far From Home. Yes, like at that year break during COVID and then getting back to it and being bombarded with, like, four movies, four TV shows, it kind of just made me realize, like, oh, yeah, that break kind of made me realize maybe I don't care about this nearly as much. And I've seen some of the other ones, like, even the most recent ones that have come out this year, and I've liked some, hated others. But it just kind of feels like I'm not at least as invested to, like, see them opening weekend in a theater anymore. Like, right. at this point, I just feel like, well, like, the new Ant-Man coming out, I'm just like... I'll probably wait till Disney Plus for this. I am so tired of like CG gobbledygook with like great actors kind of being wasted. Like, oh no, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, they're moving from side to side on the screen screen. How can they get out of here? <laughs> well, and the reason I bring that up uh, is because not only Brie Larson obviously has, has joined that because she's Captain Marvel, but I didn't realize until after I'd finished watching the movie that Destin Daniel Cretton, who wrote and directed the film, uh, is the director of Shang-Chi. Yes. So you have two people here who kind of have moved into the Marvel side of things. Yeah, particularly a director, like, the very common thing for them of, like, oh, you mean a small indie hit? Get ready for Shang-Chi, Avengers, whatever the hell that he's going to direct next. Right. It's just, right. like, again, swallowed up by that. It just feels uh, like a, also kind of a waste of his talents to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree. I mean, like, I, I liked Captain Marvel, but Brie Larson, if I had seen this when this came out and then seen Room, because I, I loved Room. Room is a... Mm -hmm. Room's yes. a hard, hard film to to watch. It's not on my list of movies I wouldn't, you know, won't go back to. But it's she's she's incredible in that, and she's incredible in this. And I, I think if I was had been familiar with this beforehand and and Room, and then seen what she did with Captain Marvel, it would have been like, yeah, you've kind of lost your your way. Like it's fun watching her as a superhero. I mean, but she's not doing the Robert Downey thing where like he was doing Iron Man, but then he was also kind of showing up here or there in really interesting projects, do little aside, um, you know, that kept him, made him feel like, okay, yes, he's he's still an exceptional actor, and he's Iron Man. Right, yeah, like The Judge, I'm sure your favorite right. of those. Right, right. soloist. Yeah. I liked The Soloist, I know, not everybody did. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. 
but yeah, so, okay. What's your history with this movie? Um, I kind of went into it in a similar blind status as you did uh, around the time it came out. Because I, I was in college and there was a film festival that was showing this movie. And I remember distinctly it was at like the local IMAX theater, which was very interesting seeing it like blown up on like an IMAX screen, this intimate little drama yeah. movie <laughs> on like a big thing. So you're just seeing people have huge, massive emotional moments like Brie Larson's tears are going to completely <laughs> drench me. <laughs> <laughs> right now, if I'm not too careful. Uh, but I remember just, I, I wept. I, I thought it was so beautiful. I thought it was really, like, it was one of my favorite movies of that year. And it's always worrying, like, going back to one of those that you declared one of your favorite movies of a year. And then going back, is going to lose something? And I've revisited this movie a couple times since uh, 2013 when it was, like, widely released. And I was just like, no. I think it just, it hits every single time. All the great intimate emotional beats yeah you may have the record for making me cry the hardest at a movie that was picked for the podcast because this this was an exceptionally hard film for me to watch in part because uh you know my background i was teaching i taught for 10 years i left teaching i came back to teaching these are the kids that i'm teaching now like these like kids that i'm teaching are in these kinds of homes uh not all of them but there's a lot more of them in the teaching in a more urban school now than I did before. So like it reminded me of some of my students and it was a reminder of, I don't always know what's going on with my students. And, and there were parts of that. And, and there was the whole, you know, Brie Larson is dealing with this and she's dealing with these issues that these kids have, but she's also got her own issues to deal with. Mm -hmm. And, having to to put those aside when you go to work um, and, and really kind of wall off, you know, kind of compartmentalize your life. Like I could relate to that a lot. Um, there's a point in the movie, we'll get into it a little bit more later, but there's a point in the movie where the, the two characters, the the um, Mason and Hope are trying, he's, he's trying to understand what she's going through and she's, she's shut him out. She hasn't shared anything with him. In part because that's just how she has to live her life. In part because that's how she has to. She's dealt with her her past as well. And when he walks away and finally is like, "I'm done," and he walks away from her, she gets upset. And it's like to me that was one of the most human moments of this movie because you choose not to share things, and then you get upset when the other person walks away. And it's like it's very easy to watch that on a movie screen and go, "Man, that just seems so fake." But at the same time, that feels so human and so genuine and so so real to how people live their lives sometimes no yeah i think that's that's what's so great about this is that like this also feels like it was right around the time when like a24 started being like more of a factor and this feels to me like it's not an a24 movie no. but it feels a lot like those kind of movies yes in terms of the dramas in terms of like the the intimacy of it and how these characters are really inhabited by their actors to where even like early on like the the opening bit where it's just John Gallagher Jr. telling that story to Ron. Oh my god, which is a brilliant delivery. And it's what a way to open the film. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's interesting you you saw it at a film festival because m- what, what little time I've had to do research between you picking this and turning around and recording it was they were originally only planning on this being at film festivals. They weren't planning for a wide release. And then they they did get a wide release, and then it was a, a lot of disappointment that it didn't get any Oscar attention. That like it was considered one of the biggest snubs of that year, and I can kind of understand that because I'm looking at this going, if these aren't contenders for best picture, then what is? Or for yeah, best performance? Thomas, or, right there for yeah. sure, was very much in that camp. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> it, it is a, a very well reviewed film. It sits at 98 percent at Rotten Tomatoes, and the audience score slightly lower at 92 percent, which is still just highly regarded film, uh, 82% at Metacritic. The positive review I picked is from Thelma Adams at Yahoo Movies, because she says something in her review that I, I actually had been kind of thinking about while I was watching the film. Uh, she writes, the film succeeds by its simple storytelling technique. No explosions, no sweeping music signaling emotional peaks, no big reveals. It's just unsuperhumans, young and not as young, dragging themselves through a day structured within institutional green walls, hoping to scratch out some joy and ward off the shadow of loneliness. Like the film itself, small victories should be rewarded. Not every battle is World War Z. And while I was watching the movie, there was there was one point in the film that got me thinking, this is part of why I don't tend to watch 
heavy dramas like this. I'd rather have World War Z. Not that that's a movie I would have picked for a point of comparison, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Uh, I'd rather have Avengers. I'd rather have that kind of thing where it is an unrealistic enemy that can be defeated. The, The villains that the characters face in this movie, abusive parents... Uh, poverty, that that sort of thing, those are real. And those aren't things that can just easily be defeated. And that's a, a sombering thought while watching this film. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Because like, at the same time that I was decrying like, some of the Marvel stuff, I do like a big escapist blockbuster. I just think like I kind of like my cinematic palette to be varied. Sure. And I kind of like going from, like, oh, I can have like the fun sort of escapist blockbuster thing and then really love, especially one of these kind of movies, but even, like, without comparing it to, like, sort of the big blockbustery stuff, even other, like, sort of, like, Oscar-y dramas, I think, fall into the problem of, like, oh, we're going to, like, boil down a lot of these bigger problems into a three-act structure and make sure. it so much more, like, kind of petty, like, around the same time as something like Theory of Everything, a right. movie that, like, tries to take, oh, like, a person who is incredibly brilliant but sadly has this tragic disease and all this other stuff and make it into, like, a three-act weepy drama of inspiration. And it's like, this feels so fake to me. This feels about as fake as fucking Thanos snapping his fingers to me. <laughs> sure. And and I think that's – yeah, the, the the we watch the Oscar movies, and we've done it for a couple of years now. We'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk about the Oscar movies. And inevitably, there's at least one in there that I'm just like, this is this was made for Oscar bait. It feels so pretentious. It feels so ungenuine. It feels so inauthentic. And then you have a movie like this one with Short Turn 12 that, that feels very authentic and it feels very genuine and it, it doesn't feel forced. It may not be the most satisfying at times, but it is a hell of a roller coaster ride. Yeah, and I think what I also kind of like, though, is with a movie like this, I don't think it's, like, depressive to a point, just like you're in, like, a Lars von Trier, like, fetal position by the end of it, necessarily. I like the fact that it's a movie about characters going through rough situations, and at the end, not, like, completely, you know, vanquishing whatever foes they have, but at the same time, being able to continue with their lives and move on and have something that they've kind of at least learned from this, and still being able to be like, okay, not everything's fixed, but... We can move on. We can still love each other. We can still progress forward. And I think that's, you know, seeing that's really beautiful on like a big screen. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The negative review, and it's the only one they had from the top critics, because again, 98% uh, is Peter Bradshaw of The Guardian, who writes, there's a too cute to be true ending to this US indie movie by the much acclaimed young director, Destin Cretton. I couldn't buy it and found myself wondering if I had kept the receipt for the rest of the film too. Hmm. Yeah. And it is kind of a happy ending in a movie that has not seemed like anybody is going to get a happy ending. It does, you know, spoilers, huh, that's kind of the podcast, but it, it does give, give everybody gets a happy ending here for the most part. Right. Like a happier than you would have anticipated ending sort of thing, like we mentioned, but not at the same time. Like there's not all sunshine and rainbows after this point. I love like how they have the, uh, the book ending things with the one kid with the American flag. Right uh, thing on him, where it just feels like, well, yeah, we're gonna, you know, you can, we're gonna keep going. We've moved on, and we've like we're somewhat better people here, but still got to work, still got to take care of these kids, help them with whatever emotional problems they might have. And, sure, yeah. So it's not, it's all not in a big bow. Uh, I'm not surprised uh, you didn't go into any of the user reviews because I'm sure they're all very complimentary and have nothing awful to say about Brie Larson. I never look at the user reviews uh, for this podcast. <laughs> I just look at the top critics. <laughs> are they are they negative about Brie Larson? I mean, I just assume that it's a Brie Larson movie. They're probably like in the user reviews doing something after like all the Captain Marvel bullshit <laughs> and stuff like that. She's amazing in this film. I mean, she is understated genuine, you know, as I said, just very, feels very authentic to this role. And I loved her in Room, too, you know, which uh, apparently it was her performance in this that really got her the attention for Room. So, you know, good. (laughs) Yeah, and it feels like maybe just because of, like, her history as, like, a child actress uh, before eventually getting to this, like, I love any of the scenes with her and, like, especially Caitlin Deaver, but any of the kids. Sure. It feels so much like she's able to, like, really relate to them on such an emotional level. And, like, they're able to have, like, small snarky sort of, like, back and forth things. Like, the whole, um, like, oh, um, I would just make them, like, pause there and say, like, I'm going to add some shadows. And then Caitlin Deaver repeats it back to her. So right. That, like, they, that like, could be too cute. But in these hands, like, they actually feel like very authentic little moments. And then when things, like, when they have, like, their big talk, like, right outside Caitlin Deaver's dad's house... 
that just instantly shows it's just like, no, this is an actual like bond and a true friendship that's built over the course of this whole movie. Yeah. It feels really interesting and beautiful. Yeah. Well, you you brought up the bookends. I, I love that the movie opens and closes with uh, Mason telling a story. And that story eventually getting interrupted by uh, Sammy trying to make an escape run. And But one of the things that I thought was really clever was, first of all, the, the story about Mason, you know, basically he's telling a story about a, the time that he shit himself. <laughs> the, that story is not only a clever way to get the audience engaged, it not only kind of brings you into the world that they're in, but it actually really effectively establishes the rules so that later in the movie, when you have Jaden and you have Jaden escape, go AWOL, you, you've already established the rules from it in that opening story. You know, that when that once they leave the ground, you can't touch them. You can't actually stop them from leaving. You can just try and talk them out of it. You know, that kind of thing. It slid that those rules in without being heavy handed exposition. This movie does a great job of that. I think even it with does. something as small as like Marcus's uh, fishbowl. Yeah. Just does a brilliant job of that. Where just like there's small little details that like help you actually get invested in the character. So when it becomes a story element, you're like, oh, I didn't even see that right. coming at all. Yeah, and it's just it's very sl- very slickly written from that side of things because I, I I just I'm tired of movies that hit you over the head with the exposition you need to appreciate a moment later on. And so here it just was like when Jaden goes a wall later on, I was like, oh right, we already know the rules from this. Like that was really well handled, as you said, the the, the fishbowl, you know. And it's and it's and it it's also in its subtleties. Like you know, we're watching Mason. Uh, sorry, not Mason. Marcus. You know, we we, we as soon as he had that bat. I knew he was going to hit the other kid at some point. Like it was, it was a Chekhov's gun moment where it's like, he's going to use that bat to hit the other kid. The other kid's getting on his nerves. He's going to lose his temper. But at the same time as they're playing that wiffle ball game, Grace is inside doing, you know, checking their rooms and finds the drugs. And it's, as she says, you know, drug paraphernalia and assault within a short period of time, you're, you should be going to juvie. And as the audience member, I could go, Oh, this is a character who's getting ready to turn 18. He's getting ready to be removed from this, and he doesn't know what to do with his life. He doesn't want to go. He's just used to being in the system. And that could have been an element of their conversation, and it wasn't. It was left up to the viewer to make that, to have that kind of aha moment, to have that realization. They didn't hit you over the head with it. They went, okay, the audience is either going to figure it out or they're not. Right. They do have, like, later on, I think it's when uh, Bree and uh, John Gallagher Jr. are talking to each other later. They do kind of say, like, he doesn't want to go. Right. And, and she, like she does say but, that, but it's a scene or two later, and it's, and it's again, it's a short little thing. Right. And it also feels like an actual, like, comment you would kind of, like, make in trying to explain this. Like, after, like, it's, you get the sense, of, like, oh, she's figured this out. At the same time, we figured it out. Right. So that's, like, when she mentions it later, like, oh, yeah, I was with her in sync with her perfectly. And... I gotta say, like, obviously this is such a great cast, but this was the first thing I at least really spotted Lakeith Stanfield in. Sure. And he's spectacular in this movie. He is one of the underappreciated actors of our time, I would go so far as to say. There are there are several other actors who, who seem to get acclaim above him. And, like, I have not seen him in a movie that I have not enjoyed his performance in yet. Uh, and obviously I hadn't seen this until, you know, this weekend, so I can't say, you know, oh, I was on this, but... I didn't. I didn't recognize him right away, uh, and once I did, I was like, "Oh, let's see what's happening here." And and his he gets such good moments to shine in this film too. Yeah, particularly the rap moment, which is like a whole one take, and right. it's like so beautifully handled. Yeah, single shot, really up close in his face. So I could only imagine how that played out on an IMAX screen. <laughs> yeah, once again, just like, oh, I'm really invested in this character. He's right in my face. Tell me his trauma. Like you're counting the pores on his face yep. type thing. But yeah, <laughs> yes. no, but that that moment, that that was one of the moments that absolutely had me in tears. That moment of him um the the living a life not knowing what a normal life's like. You know, that he's mm. been in this system all his life. He doesn't know what normal is supposed to be. And that that really again adds to that idea of he's getting ready to get out. He doesn't know what life is supposed to be like. So it doesn't come across as any surprise that he's essentially taking steps that would put him back in the system yes i think he exemplifies something i also love about like movies in general and this movie i think is a great example of with just like how lack of communication can often hurt like we've talked about brie larson but even just how like you can feel closed off and you don't want to communicate with people Mm-hmm. And like, like I've, I've felt moments like that in my life, and I was, especially with him, like the only way he can like do that is artistically, 
right. rapping. It's like it's such a beautiful example of that. And the whole movie has so much of that where like that kind of lack of communication puts up those barriers. And then when you do open it up a bit, it can hurt you, but it can also really help your relationships with other people. I think it's a beautiful movie about all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it's like like him, you know, they're going to celebrate his 18th birthday. What does he want? He wants to shave his head. And even when he, when he first said that, I was like, there's got to be a significance to that. There's got to be a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And then he brings it up again later, you know, that he, that he just wants to shave his head. Do you think Grace will, will do that? And that moment, that scene where they do shave his head and him asking, is it lumpy? That's where she used to hit me. Is it lumpy? Are there scars? It was like, oh, my God, this is just that tore me up. Yeah, I was telling Rafe earlier about this folks at home, but uh, I kind of apologize for like, you've gone through the ringer right after coming (laughs) back into podcasting between this and the proposition. (laughs) And the seven, like three in a row, like really rough movies. (laughs) Whoever picks the next movie, pick something lighthearted, you know, pick, pick Jack and Jill, (laughs) which I have not seen. (laughs) I'll I'll embrace playing Twisted with your sister. Sure, please. I need that in my life right now. Welcome to the Carlotta Botox Chronicles. Name? Carlotta Botox. B-O-T-O-X. Spell the first name. It's actually Botox. B-E-A-U-T-O-X. Of course it is. First name? Botox is actually my last name. My first name- Okay there, who's on first? I know what's your last name. Now I want you to spell your first name. Oh, Carlotta. It's C-A-R, as in the automobile. (sighs) L-O-T-T-A, like a lot of talent. Wow. Just, wow. There's also an umlaut. The f*** is umlaut? It's two dots and it goes over the- Okay, Carlotta, two dots. Just take a seat over there, we'll call you when we're ready. Meanwhile, we'll bird our loins. I want to talk a little bit about Grace's kind of journey in this film. Because we we see her with that story being told at the beginning. Um, to me, it was a surprise when she finally goes home and Mason is there. There's obviously this relationship between them that they've been keeping secret at work. But before she goes home is when she has the, the trip to the doctor. And, you know, they confirm she is pregnant. And without thinking about it, without anything else, she just goes ahead and makes the appointment to have the abortion. And she doesn't say that. They don't, they don't say that. They just say she just go ahead and schedule you know, the appointment. Right, and she mentions the, like, have you ever been pregnant before? And that pause right. before one time. Right, right. Yeah. And and then she comes home, and her partner is Mason, who she works with. And it's like, she's not even going to tell him that she's pregnant. She's just made that decision on her own, which which to me says a lot about her character. But then as you get to know her over the course of the film, and, and she does have a change of heart. She tells him, we're, she doesn't tell him I'm pregnant. She tells him, she wakes him up to tell him we're going to have a baby, you know, and then, but hasn't canceled the appointment yet. They, they get engaged, but then in, in one day, she has one bad day. Her father's being released. She finds out first thing in the morning with the phone call. Yeah. And then Jaden's dad doesn't come or Jaden's dad came overnight to pick her up right. and Marcus attempts suicide and that breaks her. And I can understandably so you know it's 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 a heck of a moment but she is so used to being closed off as i said earlier that she she doesn't share with mason what's going on in her life she doesn't share it with him what she's feeling and that causes him to walk away as well temporarily thankfully but it it just and then i almost thought the movie was going to become a completely different movie because then she goes to Jaden's dad's house and she's right. standing there at the bed with the, the the bat in her hand. And I'm just like, did this suddenly become Promising Young Woman that I wasn't watching? Right. But it's just, I find her her journey in this movie such an interesting one to go from just immediate immediately planning an abortion because she doesn't want to bring a kid in. And I, I mean, when we find out early in the film that her dad ha- has been in prison for 10 years – it made me wonder, did she grow up in a place like this? You know, her mom was dead. Her dad went to prison. Did she end up in a in a short-term home like this? Mm-hmm. And we don't get an answer to that. We don't find out what happened to her after her dad went to jail. 
But like, what matters is that it at least gives you the thing of like whether or not she did grow up in that situation. That like that inspired her. Like all that situation inspired her. To, like I want to help kids, right? Who feel like you know just completely distraught and completely left alone in the world, right? And, and just, again, I, I love that. That's a very realistic thing. That's the people who work in those kinds of fields tend to have that kind of a background. I mean, we even see it with you know Mason. Mason was a foster kid, right? Yeah, I just think like like you mentioned with like her journey it's very much like it's messy it's complicated in a way that feels like very real of just like i have a lot of shit going on in my life and i i love this man i love being able to help these kids but at the same time like we mentioned i have my own shit that i just can't really struggle with and as much as i want to have other kids like open up to me about their problems like i can't do that with other people i just think it does such a great job of pointing that out as like not a hypocrisy but as like an actual human reality where it's like you almost want to have that kind of thing for like i can't express this but i want these other kids to have what i can't that classic thing of like when you you right a lot of people say when they have a kid just like i want what for them what i did never had and it feels like she's being very much like kind of like empathetic instinct in her Yeah, and I think she sees – I think that's part of why Jaden becomes such an important character because she sees a lot of herself in Jaden. I mean, she even tells Jaden that, you know, there are things that I hadn't thought about or I haven't talked about until I met you, Mm -hmm. you know, and I – I, I do love the, the relationship. I mean, the, the scene where Jaden first comes and, and Brie Larson's character is going over the rules and, like, they have the thing about, you know, uh, you can decorate it however you want within reason. No pictures of penises on the walls then, only if they're scientific or medical or something, and then that's what she ends up putting up on the walls. Like, that's that's a nice little uh, moment, or a couple of nice little moments, because the, the scene of them first introducing her to the home and, and, and such is a nice moment, and then her finding that on the wall later on is a nice moment. Set up and payoff done very artfully and subtly. Right. And that's what I'm saying. This film is full of that kind of thing. You know, the again, the the... the Opening story, laying down the foundation of the rules, the setup, the payoff, the, the that that moment. I mean, it's like there there are so many of them that I just I think it's I, I I'm astonished this film didn't get Oscar attention because it's it's such a excellently assembled film from the performances to the writing of the script to I mean hell the the verite style of the camera. I, I thought when the, the movie first started and that verite style is kind of right there from the get-go. And I was like, oh, God, this Thomas picked some low budget. This is on Tubi and it's bragging that he's got these <laughs> cast members, but they're going to be in it for like 30 seconds. What the hell has he done to me? <laughs> but from the beginning of the film, it's effective when it's following – you know, uh, the the story about him shitting himself, you know, when it's following them chasing the kid, the the verite style where when Marcus is doing the rap, as you said, it's one, it's a, it's a long one take with the camera moving around and kind of slowly moving in on him. And it's, it's all, this is like, this is a brilliant film. Yeah. And I like that, like we're mentioning earlier, there's like, despite like the heavy subject matter, there's plenty of funny moments interlaced but in between all of that yeah there's a lot of like really human funny bits in particular someone who haven't really talked about that much rami malek is basically like the comedic relief of the movie because he's the guy who like fucks up most of the time and is also just it's weird going back to this movie where it's just like oh yeah rami malek used to play like humans previously. (laughs) (laughs) i i was a little confused about his character because that very first scene where he's it's his it's his first day he's new you know when when Grace rides up on her bike, it's like, this is your boss. Like, he's never even met his boss before. And he does get those comic relief moments. Like, when, when he asks, when, when she asks, uh, are you okay? And his character starts talking. It was like, I wasn't asking you. You know, I was asking the kid who got hurt if he's okay, not you. You know, and that does make for a nice comedic moment. But it also, like... He's not okay. He's not okay when that kid gets hurt. He's not okay when he gets spit on. He's he's not okay. So I was like, okay, this is going to kind of help show why people like Mason and Grace are exceptional at their job because they endure it while he's the new guy and he's not going to make it through to the end. But then he is still there at the end. And like I was I was waiting to see what his journey was going to be and he doesn't really have one. He just is as you said there for the comic relief, but he's good at it, you know. 
Yeah, I guess he doesn't have like the most traditional arc, but I almost kind of like the idea that what I at least interpret from his storyline is like by the end of the movie, he's like still doing the daily chores, like he's like cleaning up the sofa and stuff like that. I just like that he just seems like he's kind of become like a part of the group, like in the same way that like Stephanie Beatrice doesn't have like a huge arc or character in this movie. Right. But she's just, she does the job daily. She's very nice with everybody. She's very friendly, but like not everybody necessarily needs to have like a huge arc for them to at least make it feel like, oh, there's still like an intimate family kind of dynamic. Sure. With all these people. Sure. Yeah, no. And and that, that's the perfect example because Stephanie Beatrice is, is really good in this in a very, very limited role. Like she's, she does not have a lot going on here, but she's enjoyable in it. And, and you're right that the, there is a slightly different feel to them sitting outside at the end of the movie when Mason is telling yet another story. You know, this time it's the the Liza Green story, and it's. Yes. But they do feel like a, like a, a tight knit group. You know, this is this is friends at work or getting ready to go into work and and just shooting the breeze and stuff. It gives us a nice closure on Marcus, but it also is just kind of a nice moment. Yeah, and I love, like, they, those are two of my favorite moments with for Beatrice in that scene is when she finds, like, wait, I didn't know this story. What? What? And then later on with um, Rami, where he, like, he says the whole thing about Marcus, like, oh, he got up and said, you're the most interesting thing about this place. It's bummer. I'm not going to get to know you. And then she didn't say anything. Right. How he responds with, like, oh, he's a pimp. And then, oh, oh, no. Like, he would have been <laughs> the fuck up who would have done that awkward thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... He, it is, uh, um, I, I'm not to the extreme that you are with him, like, oh, he's playing a human, but he is very human here. You know, he's he's the one struggling with, with the difficulty of this on a more open level. You know, Grace is dealing with it, but she's closed off from it. You know, she she still struggles with it, but she's, she's closed off, whereas he hasn't learned how to put up those walls yet. No, because he's got to... Very, like, clearly put on that Purell on his cheek after the spit, which is also another great, like, physical comedy bit. <laughs> well, he has a tie on at the very beginning, and they're like, you're not right. going to want that tie. <laughs> but yeah, the moment with Purell cracked me up. Yeah, I would say this is one of my favorite things for him, where, like, this and Mr. Robot, and then also that weird hotel commercial. I don't know if you know about this. <laughs> the- <laughs> what? There's what? a commercial that he did. In which, like, it's apparently like a campaign where, like, celebrities just list things that they're a fan of. And just Rami Malek talking to the camera and it feels like a horror movie where he's just like, I'm a big fan of my mom. I'm a big fan of long walks on the beach. I'm a big (laughs) fan of classic movies. It's like, I'm unsettled now. So it's weird. Once again, just going back to it's like, oh, yeah, you could play humans. (laughs) What, you you didn't love him in uh, the the Queen biopic? (laughs) Oh, I'm, I'm, as you know, we talked about it on my show, and we both yes, loved it so say. much. <laughs> <laughs> One of the appearances I put in on over your show, talking about that specific movie. No, he's good. He's good here. But I, I mean, even his moment, like when they ask him, "Do you want to jump rope?" and they have, they told him, "You know, you want to be a hard ass before you can be their friend." So just say no to everything. And he says, "You know, do you want to jump rope?" No. And Stephanie Beatrice gets to go. That's not what we meant. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, like, you know, just a shout-out, also, all of the kids are great, too, in this movie. Like, all oh, the glimpses yeah. we get of, like, the kid actors who, most of which I don't believe have, like, gone off to, like, much else after this. But they all, like, once again, they feel like the sort of intimate family group. Like, especially Louise, I love. He just, yeah. like, is so, like, personable immediately and feels like a real kid who would have that, like, kind of, like, um, sort of, like, I'm taking charge of the situation. Like, how great he is at wiffle ball and stuff. They're like, oh, everybody come in. Marcus ain't gonna hit this whatsoever. It's all good. Right. Yeah, and that mouth gets him in trouble. And I like that again, that feels authentic. That feels like I know that kid. Yeah. You know, I mean that's that's the thing about these performances is like there wasn't a kid in this movie that I don't know. Like I I, I know that kid. I know uh a Marcus. I know a Sammy, you know, who's just shut down and closed off and you know, if he has his doll, he's okay. I know a kid like that, you know, and it's that that made this as, as you said, you know, going th- three in a row that are kind of heavier things, but I, I would say out of them, this is the the heaviest for me because it was so authentic and relatable and a hard reminder, you know, of what the it's it's just that reminder. As I said earlier, you don't know everybody's story, you don't know what they're going through, 
you know, uh, Grace does her best to get to know these kids and to know their story. It could be, they didn't put that character in for contrast, but they very easily could have had that character who just works there, who doesn't get to know the kids and, you know, their, their bullshit gets on their nerves type thing. They didn't have that. You know, all the characters that we see have compassion. And that, to me, is a good reminder that that's important. Yes, though, I think I will say at the very least, um, unlike a seven in Proposition, you at least go out on this movie on a bit of a high note. Yes, is, I mean, that's... It has a bit more optimism to it. <laughs> that's, and and thank God for that, because I really did not think that was the direction that this was going to end up going. I, I mean, I really, I was waiting for, you know, Marcus, Marcus didn't make it. You know, and I and I loved that moment in where he tells her, you know, Marcus is going to get better, and her response is, "I think I am too." You know that there's hope, and I and I do appreciate that part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing like there was something where a Cretton was talking about how like he had a two hour long version of this movie that apparently was just like much more oppressive. Yes. And it was decided to, like, cut it down to, like, the hour 36 that it is now. And it's like, oh, no, you don't – you can have, like, these huge oppressive moments at the same time. Have a happy ending that's not a full-on, like, you know, the sun smiling and birds are tweeting ending. of just like, but we move on and we keep going. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. What have we not talked about with this movie that you want to make sure we get in? We haven't talked a lot about Gallagher Jr. in this movie himself, but I think he's also, like, so amazing in this movie. To the degree that, like, and like when I see the two of them together, particularly at that, the engagement party, um, sort of thing at the, uh, well, not the, no, the party at the foster home where, like, he... Where they get engaged. Uh, up, where they get yeah. engaged. Yes, I love that moment. Like, it's a really simple, sweet, awkward bit of just, like, will you marry me as they're dancing? It's, like, such a beautiful, intimate wonderful moment and like even he has some of the other funny bits in the movie too like actual funny bits like when he ends up being told that he's going to be a father he just gets up like give me a minute hold on wait right. <laughs> like, like, go pace around for a second or even like the bit the back and forth they have about the bike which i think is so funny like, just like yeah. you spend way more time on that bike than me <laughs> just like oh fuck you Floyd. <laughs> cheating cheating on me with floyd yeah yeah <laughs> Well, and the uh, uh, haven't had sex in nine days and 13 hours. Down to the hour, huh? <laughs> Oh, shit. We're down to the counting the hours now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Gallagher Jr. is uh, – he's another one of those. Like, uh, anytime I – I have yet to see a, him in a role where I didn't really appreciate the performance that he gave, you know. And he he's an unsung, you know, talent as well. Like, you know, he, he does not – get big parts he doesn't you know do a ton of stuff i loved him in the newsroom um that's where i was introduced to him i know that he was on broadway in the adaptation of green day's american idiot and there's part of me that wishes i had gone to see that you know i've seen (laughs) clips online i've seen him him do the part on youtube but it's just like i can't imagine having to maintain that level of energy for so long and yet i have no doubt that he was able to do it brilliantly because he's just a really really good actor and he's also been able to add that to genre films. Like, I think he's great in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right. Delivering a similar, like, sort of subtle performance. Or also, he's terrifying in Hush, the movie where he plays, like, the serial killer uh, chasing around the deaf woman's house. I need to see that. I have not seen that Mike one. Flanagan, man. It's good shit. Oh, man. How would I miss that? Okay, yeah. Uh, Netflix put it out and just dumped it. And you, oh. that's probably why you don't know about it. Well, that that probably is, because Netflix tends to do that, where they're like... We released five movies this week. We're going to tell you about two of them. <laughs> and in the time we made that announcement, four more movies came out <laughs> that we're not going to tell you but about. But Thomas finished 20 more movies this week. Sadly, most of them aren't the Netflix ones like the originals, because they <laughs> disappear those the fuck off my timeline. <laughs> All right, man, let's go ahead and move into the end game here. Uh, first up, we have the algorithm says this is a lightning, and we use that term loosely, lightning round of uh, movies that various algorithms say you will like because you liked Short Term 12. So you kind of tell me you like it, you don't like it, what do you think the connection is, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I will say I need to start changing what I'm using for algorithms because one of them I've noticed I'm starting to see skewed results in self-promotion, which I don't like. But uh, so this is a little different of an algorithm. But uh, so first up, we have me and Earl and the Dying Girl. I get the connection. It's a more like kind of like indie darling movie. Um, that was a movie I remember a lot of people praising. And I think that is an incredibly vile, overrated piece of shit tweet movie. Really? Hate it so much. 
did not like that movie whatsoever. Much more kind of like that Oscar manipulative thing I was talking about. I would right. argue that movie is far more guilty of. Though that was the first time I saw Olivia Cook in anything, and she's a very good actress. Yeah. She went on to much bigger and better things after that. <laughs> Everybody's gotta start somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh The Spectacular Now. Love that movie. That's the A twenty four one. Probably the best Miles Teller. Um, also best Shailene Woodley. Like those two were similarly like they're so great in that movie and they went off to like very weird careers that mostly have not serviced them that well. Right. I would argue in the last decade or so. Uh, but great underrated movie. Okay. I have not seen either of these, but I've not seen most of these movies on this list. I got to say eighth grade. Yep. That's, I mean, that's another great one. Um, Bo Burnham um, and like Elsie Fisher starring a great little movie, a similar kind of like, you know, uh, downbeat, kind of like a coming of age story, but like obviously has the Bo Burnham inflections of humor in it. I, that's a great movie. Okay. All right. Also very harrowing, very harrowing. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, just, it is a very authentic coming of age story about a young girl in eighth grade, including right. some very awkward moments. Okay. Yeah. It, it's been on my list since the, it came out. Like it was one that the year it came out, it was like, Oh, you need to see this. You need to see this. I was like, I do need to see this. And I put it down on my list and it just, I never pulled the trigger on it. So I need to fix that. Uh, another one kind of like that. The big sick. Yeah. I love that movie. That one is far more obviously comedic in tone, but uh, it's great movie. Yeah. I don't, get the connection but then again i haven't seen it so i don't know what i'm you know where where yeah i'm not quite as i guess i mean i'm I'm not quite sure either with that but great movie nonetheless okay uh fruitvale station that's an extremely great but harrowing movie once again and uh, that's an example uh given um with with that one uh being done by ryan coogler where that guy has gone to the Marvel machine, I would argue, has done at least a much more personable job with both of his Marvel movies. Sure. That feel like much more like they're actually Ryan Cooler films as much as they are MCU movies. But even he did that right like right after spectac- after that movie with um with a Creed, which is a franchise movie that's like fucking amazing and beautifully intimate. I have not seen uh any of the Creed movies. But I've also only seen one of the Rocky movies, so it's not like I had a strong foundation to go into the Creed movies on. <laughs> just the first one? Yes, just the first one. Okay. I mean, that's a pretty consistent franchise, aside from pretty much five. The number five, I think right. all those are pretty solid. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. 50-50. Um, that one, weirdly, if I was, if this was the big sick... And we were talking about that as a recommendation. I would get that more. Um, but I think that one also that one's one that got lost to time in terms of kind of like a comedy drama. It's probably one of the better Joseph Gordon-Levitt performances and a very good use of Seth Rogen yes. in there as well. Yeah, I think unfairly kind of lost to time. Okay, uh, Room. I mean, I think we get the connection. <laughs> um, but but I mean, yeah, that's that is the last time I saw a truly great performance out of Larson, and I, I wanted to kind of circle back to that if she can. Yeah. She's, uh, I have used this to describe another actress once upon a time. Uh, she's one of those actresses that tends to be at their best when they're at their worst. Like you give her a character, give her, give her characters who are going through rough times and she is just exceptional as an actress. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. Book smart. The Caitlin Deaver connection I get. Right. Uh, but otherwise, uh, not <laughs> I mean, fun movie, really good, awesome movie. Um, but also she, like we mentioned her in this, she's also become one of like the great rising actresses. Like this was the first time I saw her in Search from 12 and then she's just like gone up as like such an amazing young actress to me. I, I can't wait to see more from her. Yeah. No, I really dug her in this. I'm not, Booksmart is kind of on that same list I, I need to to watch. One that I know is near and dear to you, The Florida Project. Hell yeah. Great. <laughs> Uh, I think that of these various ones, that is one I would agree with the algorithm on for sure. I think it has a very similar kind of like tone to uh, Short Term 12, about especially just, you know, kids in a situation that doesn't feel like they're being, you know, supervised very well gotcha. on that level. Uh, beautiful movie. Though. And then the last one, which I think is the weirdest one, uh, Honey Boy. Um, well, so hard to talk about Honey Boy now. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's, it it's wasn't exactly bummer, easy to talk about it then, you know? <laughs> no, that's true. But there's um, now that movie, instead of being Honey Boy, um, it's Honey Boy, giant asterisk next to it of right. what Honey Boy is. Um, but I think that one at least I think makes sense because it's also a similar kind of like troubled youth coming of age kind of story that I think fits closer to short term 12, I think, than some of these other choices have. But yeah, um, I, I would have recommended around the time it came out. 
probably wouldn't right now. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine what would change your mind on Hmm. that. I wonder. I wonder if there's one big writer-actor factor to that particular (laughs) movie. (laughs) All right. Finally, we uh, have our pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Number one, the movie is an adaptation of a short film by the same name that Dustin Daniel Cretton made in 2008. Who is the only member of the cast to return from the short film to play a role in this version? A, Brie Larson, B, John Gallagher Jr., C, Rami Malek, or D, Lakeith Stanfield? I believe that is D. Lakeith Stanfield. It is D. Lakeith Stanfield. And apparently, in between filming the short and filming this one, he had quit acting. Yes. Thankfully, he changed his mind and came back because he's given us some some really good... I mean, hell, even his tiny part in uh, Knives Out. Right. You know, I mean, he's he's, he's great. Even right after this, he was in, I believe it's The Purge Anarchy as one of like the masked people. I've not seen that one yet. He's pretty fun in it, yeah. Okay. Uh, Number two, Brie Larson tried to persuade Cretton to cast her in the film by telling him that she had researched the role by applying to volunteer for work with disadvantaged children. What piece of information did Larson omit in that statement to Cretton? A, she had gotten fired from those volunteer organizations. B, she had gotten rejected by the volunteer organizations. C, she herself had been a disadvantaged child. Or D, she didn't actually turn in the applications. Um, I'll go with D. Uh, no, she had gotten rejected by all of the volunteer organizations oh. she had applied to. <laughs> she attempted to do research, but then didn't get approved to do it. So, uh, Number three, writer-director uh, Cretton wrote the rap music that appears in the film. However, it was then modified by actor Lakeith Stanfield to make it more authentic to his own experiences. How did Cretton describe Stanfield's changes? A, he missed the point of the original songs by changing them. B, he didn't really change much about them. C, he made them better, or D, he was just showing off. I'm going to hope it's C, because all those make Cretton sound like an asshole. <laughs> it is C, he made them better. <laughs> he said, I wrote them, and then Stanfield made them better. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Cretton originally perceived a much darker ending to his story before abandoning these ideas in favor of ending his depressing story on a happier note. Which of the following is not one of the ideas Cretton originally had to resolve storylines in the film? A, Marcus dies from his suicide attempt. B, Mason consents to Grace having the abortion. C, Grace has the abortion. Or D, Jaden leaves town with her father. Um, I'm gonna say D. I really hope it's not D. No, D actually was part of the storyline. Jaden left town with her father in the original idea of the ending. Uh, Marcus did not die from his suicide attempt in the original ending, oh. but Mason then does consent to the abortion and Grace has it, and Jaden leaves town with her father, which made for a very depressing ending. He apparently never finished writing it, so therefore the scenes were not ever filmed. So it's not like, the, as you said, this thing was filmed like the original edits were over two hours. So there's a ton of deleted footage out there from this film. And thankfully, that ending is not part of it. <laughs> All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, well, um, as you've mentioned previously, uh, I have the podcast Double Edge Double Bill, where every week uh, my co-host Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature uh, related to a topic. Uh, around the time this comes out, we would have put out um, our Julianne Moore episode, uh, where we cover our good pick is Boogie Nights and right. our bad pick is Hannibal. And uh, you can find us at DEDB Pod on social media. Uh, we're also on the Talk Film Society Network uh, podcast, which is a bunch of other great shows on that network. Uh, we also have our Patreon, patreon.com slash DEDB Pod, where for just $1 a month, you get access to uh, polls where you get to vote in certain movies or topics that we cover. And uh, also bonus podcasts, uh, like coming up in February, will be our award show, The Dubs. Right. Which was intentionally very bad name we picked. <laughs> it's just like if any celebrity gets the word of like, hey, you won the dubs. Like, what? What is this? Get this out of my face. I don't want to bother with this. Um, but uh, you can access like that and all the other stuff. A huge backlog for just $1 over at patreon.com slash GEDBpod. And also I'm at Not The Who's Tommy on various social media platforms. And I do some writing both at my blog, marianithomas.wordpress.com and at film-cred.com. 
you, you've got such a big plate with so much stuff on it. <laughs> and yet, we will have you back on here, hopefully, knock on wood, uh, when we do our third uh, Oscar roundup, pre-Oscar roundup this year. So yep. hopefully that, that we're recording this, the Oscar nominees are this week. So uh, we'll see what we have, how many of them you have seen and haven't seen in just a few short days. <laughs> right, and your plate is pretty full too, because knock on wood, around that same time in March, uh, you might be on a special bonus Patreon thing. Yeah, uh, that's going to be long and hard <laughs> and arduous, <laughs> but should be a fun time. Yeah. Well, I again, I appreciate you kind of filling in at the last minute with a movie pick so that I can keep the show momentum going. Um, always have fun to have you on. And man, this may be my favorite of the movies you've picked so far, which is hard to say because, man, even your first one, Walk Hard, like I, I've gone back to that movie so many times and I have the feeling I'm going to do the same thing with this movie. I have the feeling this is going to be one that I pass on to to friends and family that, that like this is a movie you've not seen that you should. The main thing any great movie fan loves is introducing new great movies to other movie fans and spreading that word. Thank you. <laughs> So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Short Term 12, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This podcast, or you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I invite you to check out my other podcast, Never Say Die, where I sit down with my friend Drew Meyer. Each month we talk about a movie and then look at ideas we can get from that movie to gamify it for use at our role-playing game table. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Thomas Mariani for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.